Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again in Palmerston North, New Zealand at King's Grace Presbyterian Church by Rido, the very reverent Ian Reid. Rido, hi, welcome back. Not, not very reverent, but uh, <laughs> Rido will do. Yeah. yeah, you're a reverent? You became a reverent fairly recently, didn't you? We, we went to your reverenting, your service of reverenting. I don't feel any different. <laughs> In the Anglican Church, we call it your installation, which always makes vicars sound like, you know, dishwa- dishwashers or something. <laughs> a piece of art. <laughs> something like that. Anyway, um, no disrespect to... Uh, the Church of England or vicars. Um, I trained to be a vicar in the Church of England. We can always have a good laugh at ourselves, I think. Anyway, today we're looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 32 to 56. Now, Ian, what happened last time in the first part of chapter 6? So it's kind of a, an interesting story. We see Jesus sending out his uh, disciples to, to go and uh, kind of spread the kingdom. Uh, but then we kind of were cut over to King Herod and kind of his maybe feeling a little bit anxious about what Jesus is doing uh, and um, we're told about how he beheaded, John, uh, beheaded John, the, John the Baptist. And so we kind of, in this kind of interesting story about how he had a banquet and uh, you know, everyone was, was well fed up and probably quite drunk and, and how that kind of came about, the, the beheading of John the Baptist. Mm. How do we see Jesus reveal himself uh, in the rest of chapter 6? Well, what we're seeing here is Jesus showing us who he really is. And so, one, we, we see that in his in the feeding narrative, but also then um, he walks on water. Uh, and uh, not everyone is seeing what's going on, though. I think that it's kind of a little bit hidden. I think it's probably the disciples that see everything that's going on. We better read it. Uh, so it's verses chapter 6, verses 32 to 44 for, for this. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now that's interesting given what we've learned about Herod. Mm. These people have no ruler of any consequence. Um, And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Okay, so Ian, how does Jesus' banquet here contrast with the banquet of Herod? So you've got this very luxurious banquet uh, with Herod and quite debaucherous, you know, kind of got this young woman um, dancing around, pleasing everybody, and then you've got this total opposite banquet. And this, the, the meal there of the fish and the loaves is kind of the, would be seen as a peasant's meal. Uh, it's very simple. Uh, it's you know quite a common meal, uh, but it's nothing flash. You know, it's 
basically the, the total opposite. Where are they? They're outside, you know, out on a mountain somewhere. Mm. What's the significance of the fact that this feeding miracle takes place in the wilderness in this very loaded, loaded term? We have these kind of spots all the way through Mark that, that Jesus tries to go away uh, and often into the wilderness to find rest. So you have it right at the beginning where Jesus goes into the wilderness uh, after his baptism. What does he find there? Rather than finding rest, he finds Satan. Uh, and you know, kind of, you, you've got all of these different spots. You've got it here as he t- takes the twelve away into the wilderness to find rest. You actually have it. I think it's in chapter two where Jesus goes to a, a remote place to, to pray. But even in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end, you know, kind of, it's this place where he's off in the wilderness trying to find rest. And so, it's it's kind of Jesus' space to to kind of find some some form of of rest from the, the hustle of what's going on around him. What is Mark saying, though, about who Jesus is here as he feeds Israel in the wilderness? It's, it's a very, I, I think it's, it's kind of a, a exodus a kind of picture that we're getting, mm. isn't it? Mm. That it's God himself come, come out uh, and feeding the people like God feeds the, the Israelites with manna and quail, um, you know, kind of in, in the book of Exodus, that here you have Jesus doing exactly the same thing, you know, out in the wilderness, uh, out, you know, kind of in, in a lonely place, exactly kind of, I think it's like a replaying of that Exodus kind of motif. Mm. Yes, what are the connections with Israel's wilderness journey here? Well, you've got them going out, you've got the 12 disciples there, potentially, you know, kind of in a representation of the, of the 12 uh, tribes. You know, it's kind of, you, you've got Jesus himself uh, being the one speaking to the people and gathering the food and distributing it, just as God kind of did, does. Mm. Why does Jesus have compassion on the crowd in verse 34 there? I think the Greek word of that is fabulous. Is that splagnitsomai? It's like a stomach-churning feeling of compassion. Yes. It's an extremely violent expression of compassion. I think it's splagnitsomai. It's from, it's from the word splagnitsomai, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, and it's often translated as kind of Jesus was angry, or you know, kind mm, of. Mm. So, what? How does that make sense? It's not. It's not that he's angry. It's that you know, it's this deep compassion that he's he's churning inside, you know, mm. kind of uh, for the people. And what is he compassionate about? It's it's not that they're hungry or anything like that. It's that you know they were like sheep without a shepherd. They are looking for a king. This is what they're they're hoping for. We've just had King Herod, you know, off doing his banquet. And what do we have? The people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has deep compassion for them, that they are longing for rest. They are longing uh, for wholeness and, and meaning uh, and even freedom from oppression, you know, you would think. Uh, and so Jesus is, has deep compassion for them because he's the king coming to the world to, to give that, that very thing. Mm. Why does Jesus tell the disciples uh, to give the crowd something to eat? I'm not sure why he asked them. Whether I think it's a setup, really. <laughs> yeah, they have been off doing that, doing that work, though. You know, they're the ones that Jesus has just sent them off to kind of go spread the kingdom. But in doing that, you know, they preach repentance, but they also drive out demons and heal people. So, I, th- I think this is just a, another form of them. You know, Jesus saying to them, "Hey, continue on my my work." Hmm. Does the um, significance of the, n- the numbers of loaves and fish here mean anything? We've got five loaves and two fish, making seven, I suppose, which is a pretty loaded number in Scripture. Well, and this, this comes up a bit later when Jesus says, you know, he's in the boat 
uh, a little bit later on and saying, you know, how many basketfuls did you did you collect after I fed the four thousand? I think it was seven, and then after I fed the five thousand, it was twelve. Ah, there's our number twelve again. Very because one is this is a Jewish feeding. This mm. is a feeding of Israel, and the next one, the four thousand, is a Gentile feeding, isn't it? So the numbers are significant for each each one. Probably. <laughs> we don't know, probably, yeah. but very uh, highly likely, I would think. Yeah. Uh, and five and two making seven, which is a whole creation week. So, I don't know, this is a new creation, possibly? Is there any significance to the way Jesus seats the people? I'm fascinated by the 50s and the 100s are mentioned. Uh, yeah, there is something. I can't remember that there is something in the Old Testament about that, isn't there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, this time I actually made a note of it before I came down because I thought you'd ask me about this. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, th- I think it's James Jordan who suggests this. Uh, the 50s and the 100s are mentioned, and uh, if you go back into Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, these were the military units of Israel camped around the tabernacle in the wilderness, mm. and the idea was that they were they were assembled in uh, in in 50s. And a hundreds, and a thousands. Uh, Exodus eighteen twenty one refers to the arrangement of the crowd into field groups of hundreds and fifties, which so it's recalling the order of the Mosaic camp in the wilderness. And who was at the centre? Um, God uh, and the uh, the Ark of the Covenant mm. and the, and the cherubim and so forth. Yeah. yeah. And then Deuteronomy one fifteen and Numbers thirty one fourteen talk about the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds. So I'm. It's a pretty strong suggestion, I think, that Mark is picking up on once again on the language of the Old Testament, and this is God come in human form to lead His people, and He assembles Israel in the wilderness as Yahweh assembled the leaders and the groups of Israel in the in the in the wilderness journey. So it's kind of the, you know, a new Exodus is happening. You know, we're, we're witnessing yeah. a new Exodus, yeah. um, kind of. Yeah. Being played out. Yeah, and it's pretty clear. I mean, I'm quite sure that the religious leaders would have worked all this out because they would have known their Old Testaments. And so it's even clearer who Jesus is claiming to be. Mm. You know, you can't you can't miss it if you've got these illusions, really. So who's at the centre of all of that here is Jesus, isn't he? You yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being the yeah. one who's feeding them, being the yeah. one who's, who they're all gathering around. Yeah, and and add into that, all the, as you've said, all the... Uh, all the imagery and this, the accounts of God feeding Israel miraculously in the wilderness. Draw it, pull, pull all the strands of this together, and it's pretty clear what's going on. Now, how does Jesus here show the disciples who he really is? Well, who's the one that, that does, the, does this? You know, so if we, if we have a look, uh, verse 41, taking the, the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave it to the disciples to sit to set before the people. The people probably don't see what's going on, but the disciples see what's going on. He's kind of gathered them around. He's broken the, them and given thanks uh, in, in a kind of traditional Jewish way that you would do. And so, and then he gives it to the disciples who then distribute it. But it's likely that, that they have the people sitting around have no idea what's happened. It's only the disciples that see it. Mm. What's the significance of the fact that Jesus gives the people bread? Well, I, I wonder if it's got to do, you know, bread of life, you know, kind of in, in that kind of sense. But bread is is the staple, and that without it, uh, within these communities, you don't live for very long. That that's just uh, how kind of life worked there. That bread is one of the the, the things that you need uh, to survive. And it's kind of who who we don't have, you know, um, important people here. We have peasants kind of gathering around Jesus, and that was what, what they would eat most of the time. 
Yes, I wonder if there's a, a little foretaste too of what would become the Lord's Supper. Um, the, the, the disciples are chosen to give Jesus' body symbol, symbolically even then uh, as a foretelling of his coming death and resurrection. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. It, yep. Very, very possible. That's my next question, actually. What's the significance of the fact that it's the disciples who pass around the broken bread? Well, yeah, that is possible that there's an allusion there to what's going to happen, you know, kind of Possibly. Com- coming on. Possibly, yeah. uh, And, you know, that, that, you know, they're the ones who the, uh, the kingdom is going to pass through in that kind of sense. They're the ones who, who are going to do the work of the kingdom mm. coming on. I think we've already answered this one, Ian, but what's the significance of the fact that there are 12 baskets left over? Yeah, it probably has to, I mean, 12 just keeps popping up in Mark, doesn't it? Uh, and so, you know, tw- the 12 tribes of Israel is kind of the, the big thing that, that we keep thinking back to in the Old Testament, that God is doing something, whether it's gathering a new tribe of 12 is a, is a possible thing, or fulfilling the hopes and expectations of the 12 tribes as well. Why are we told that there are 5,000 men? Is, he, is Mark being sexist, as yes. is often claimed? Yes, and so we should throw out the New Testament because it's a very sexist document. No, not at all. That's just how they counted people in those times. And so it's just, it's, it's just a, a fact of the time that that was, that was how they counted people. And so you know, we can't rile against that you know, angrily because that's just what they did. And also possibly if this is a military camp going back to the Old Testament, then these would have been the fact it's men that are mentioned again just brings out the fact this is a military assembly um, that Jesus has called out into the desert, as it were. In what sense then has Jesus just outed himself as God? Well, he's quite significantly just said, hey, I'm the one who will take you into through the new exodus uh, and feed you and provide for you. How many other people do you know that can kind of just gather a bit of food? And you know, I, I know some some people are very good at hospitality, but this is uh, you know kind of an unseen to- form of hospitality outside of God's miracles, isn't it? Mm. Uh, that God somehow just takes seven things and makes them into lots of other things. You know, it, it harks back to creation itself, doesn't it? That ah, yes. You know, out of, out of nothing comes you know yes. kind of more. Yes. Um, you know. But I think I think a part of that is also, then, if this guy is able to do this, he's able to feed us in this way. Well, you know, kind of this is the thing we've been longing for. This is the thing we've been searching for. Someone to provide for us. You know, kind of, particularly in in a, the kind of the people that are gathered there, these peasants, thinking, well, here's someone that uh, will give me all everything that I need, all the food that I need. And I don't need to, you know, work really hard every single day to kind of get by. Here I have someone providing for me. This is the guy that I'd want to be king. Mm. Yes. Now, why does Jesus make his disciples get into a boat there in verse 45? Well, they've been kind of crossing, you know, the Sea of Galilee. We're not told that it is the Sea of Galilee, but we can assume it is from the previous passage passages that they keep going backwards and forwards, you know, kind of across the Sea of Galilee. And we're not told why they get in there, but he tells them to go in it uh, and to kind of go back away. And so he's probably uh, sending them back uh, to Nazareth, you know, kind of his hometown. It doesn't tell us why Jesus doesn't get in the boat, though. No. So we come to verses 45 to 52 of chapter 6. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. 
and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, uh, which is about, about uh, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, Echo Amy, is it pronounced in Greek? Echo Amy, it is I. Very significant. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Okay. A lot to unpack here too, Ian. What's the significance of the fact that Jesus prays here? Well, what's Jesus been seeking this whole time? It's some rest. Uh, and so he's off in the wilderness seeking the rest. He finally gets some, uh, you know, kind of here that he, he kind of, he leaves them aside after leaving them. Verse 46, he went up on the mountainside to pray that there, there is huge significance here that, that he needs rest himself. And where does he find that rest? He finds it in his relationship with the Father. Mm. Um, why does Jesus pray three times in the wilderness in Mark's gospel? I don't know if the three is significant itself. I think that, that definitely that that's the place where he finds rest um, in prayer, in particularly. But I think the uh, and whether the wilderness itself is significant, it probably is. But I think more importantly, there's no one around to to bug him. You know, kind of, and you have you kind of have this kind of thing that Jesus needs to get further and further away from people. Uh, to actually find rest. And you see that as he, he kind of journeys further and further into Gentile territory later on. And, and it seems to be to, to get further and further away from the opposition that, that around him. Now, uh, let's come on and deal with the Old Testament background to this passage because there's a lot. What What is this background to Jesus walking on the water? Because we find allusions to this in the Old Testament, don't we? Well, the big one is right at the beginning of the Bible, isn't it? Genesis 1. You know, what's hovering over the water? It's uh, God's Spirit. And so you, you've got this clear sense there of, you know, kind of the, the, that Genesis 1 image of God in creation or over creation. Uh, and, you know, normally when I've tried to walk on water, it doesn't work very well. But you've, you've got a sense here of, you know, kind of that being replayed in some way, new creation in some way. Yeah. Other allusions to Psalm 77. I'm thinking of verse 19. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Why not? You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. And I was trying to, there's, there's another passage, isn't there another passage which talks about uh, your God coming to you on the sea? And I can't, I can't find out where it was. I went looking for it. I don't know. No. <laughs> but I, I, you, d- you definitely do have that sense, though, of uh, in, in the Exodus, you know, Moses parting the sea. Yeah. Well, it's really God that parts the sea. But, yeah. um, and, you know, the people walking through it as well, don't you? Mm, mm. So there's all that going on. And then we come, that's before we get to these words, echo amy. Is it ego amy? Yeah, e- ego amy. Ego amy. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, what's the incredible significance of these words, it is I? I think we miss it in our English translations. Well, yeah, it's it's a translation. When you look at, at Yahweh, the, the the word Yahweh, God's God's name, that's how it's translated in the in Greek in the Septuagint Bible. What is it? Is ego amy? Yes, I am. Oh, okay, I am. Yeah, yeah, and so th- that's how Jesus refers to himself there. I so, am. so instead of translating it, it is I. What he actually says is I am. I believe so, yes. Verse 50. I've, you've got your Greek open there. Yeah, there it is. Look. Echo Amy. Yes, yes. Yeah. So there could be, you know, whether, whether that's just a, 
um, how he would refer to you know, how you would speak in that situation, but you probably wouldn't. It does seem to be it's saying I am, you know, kind of he's revealing himself who he it's is. It's a mighty big coincidence, yeah. given this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've got all these other allusions going on to Yahweh in the Old Testament that he uses that he should choose to use those very words. Yeah. Strikes me as being as being uh, it would not be a coincidence. Yeah, I don't. I think it's significant. I don't think it's just a, an accident that though that he uses those words in, in that spot. No. So who is Jesus saying he is here then? God. Yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty blunt, isn't it? It's pretty yeah. obvious. And why are the disciples' hearts hardened then? Well, you know they you know they don't they don't understand what's going on, um, and so. You know, what, is, what does Jesus say to him? Don't say that. Don't be afraid. Mm. You know, I wonder if he, you know, he's worried that they're going to jump out of the boat and he's going to have to pull them you know, back into the boat or something because <laughs> they probably can't swim. So it's, a, it's me. It's okay. Don't be afraid. You know, don't jump out of the boat. But they, they don't understand you know, who the significance of what's going on. That, that's not going to come until later. And in fact, it's not until chapter 8 that we get anyone within the disciples understanding even in some sense of who Jesus is. We're not there yet. And so they're just, at this point, they're, they're just kind of just not fully understanding or getting the fact of what's going on. I think it's funny, you, 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 we read and go, how can you not see what this is? But, mm. you know, we mm. have to see that they're, we, we live with the benefit of the, of the cross and the resurrection. Mm. They're, they're still working it out. Mm. Okay, last bit of today's uh, chapter, chapter 6, verses 53 to 56. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities or countryside, they laid the sick in their marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Okay, now what's the significance of these verses, Ian? What, what do we have here? You know, Jesus has just been off getting some rest. He's sick of people kind of being all around him. Uh, and what do we have? Crosses over. Is where's uh, Gennesaret? Is it? It's. Oh, I don't know. It's still on. The, uh, it's still on the lake. But I think. Yeah, I think it, so. Yeah. Is it? I can't remember exactly if it's in Gentile or Israelite territory. I can't remember either. Um, but you know, the significance that you have everyone here has has heard about Jesus yeah. so much so that they're running and gathering people. To, for him to just, just to touch, like it's just kind of it's so odd, isn't it? That that you've got all of these people throughout the whole region bringing everyone to him. You know, Jesus is just kind of he's so well known now that there's nothing he can do but but kind of go around healing people. Yes, and so is there is there a significance there to the fringe or edge of Jesus' garment? You do have there are. Uh, Old Testament allusions there, aren't there, to, to the kind of the tassels the on tassels. the edge of the priest's garments? Yeah, yes. And, yeah. Di- and didn't 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 all the Jewish men have to wear tassels on their garments? I think so. I yeah. think so. Yeah, but I think this particular, like with the high priests, yes, yes. and the priestly kind of garments, yes. oh, those very things so. are very yes. important, yes. aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So there's a particular, and that it has particular symbolic significance. So, what sort of kingdom is Jesus bringing in here then? Well, is it a kingdom like the kingdom that we saw with Herod? You know, kind of of debauchery and luxury. It's it's not that at all, but it is a kingdom of rest where people come and they find true rest with Jesus. It's not the type of kingdom that we expect or that we would would kind of want. But what's he bringing? He's bringing wholeness to people. He's bringing healing to people. Uh, he's um, kind of doing things that we wouldn't expect 
uh, of a king. He's actually being with the people uh, and relating to them and talking to them, which is kind of quite amazing for, for any king to do that. Yeah. In, in what sense is Jesus' kingdom then simple but abundant? Well, what do you what do you have in the peasants' feasts? You know, kind of on the mountainside, it's loaves and fishes. It's it's not luxury, but it's overflowing, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I think that that's the kind, type of kingdom that Jesus brings in. It's one of simplicity in, in one sense, but one where there's an abundance of it at the same time. Mm. Final question: How does Jesus have compassion on us? What, what we see here, I think, is quite amazing. Is that Jesus is with the people. Uh, which you don't see with any other kings, do you? Usually they're off in their castle locked up. But what do you have here? Jesus has compassion on the people. He sees that they're, they're sheep without a shepherd. Here we have the true shepherd who is with the people. Uh, and so when we long for, for good leadership, when we long for someone to understand us, to, to actually be with us, what do we have? We have a king who is exactly like that. Mm. Well, there we are. We come to the end of another mighty chapter of Mark. Lots and lots of stuff to think about there, Ian. My goodness. So much. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there is. He he just piles it all in, doesn't he? Uh, And so, once again, thank you to uh, Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge, who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, once again, thank you so much. Thank you, Brent. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.